This is Without Compromise, a show that explores what happens when you won't settle for anything less than your crazy ideas. We'll talk to athletes, founders, adventurers, and entrepreneurs of all kinds about living without compromise. I'm your host, Mason Gravely. Welcome to the show. We're programmed for survival, so our instinct is to give up on these situations, to move away from them. I thought if I didn't sign up for that race, that I was just going to disappear. It doesn't have to be these big, huge things that everyone thinks you need to do to make a difference. Hey, folks. Happy Friday, first of all, and happy Pride Month. If you don't know, June is Pride Month. And we have released a beer called Rainbow Wall, which is for sale right now, by the way, to celebrate Pride Month and to benefit a very cool organization called Athlete Ally. If you don't know about Athlete Ally, they are trying to rid the sports world of homophobia and transphobia and to activate the athletic community to exercise leadership to champion LGBTQI plus equality. As you know, the world of sports can be a great place to, to learn about yourself, to build character, uh, to build confidence, but it can also be a place of, of a lot of really awful things, a lot of bullying, a lot of, like I said, transphobia and homophobia, and it, it can be a really toxic environment too. So Athlete Ally is doing everything they can to change that. And we are trying to help all the proceeds from Rainbow Wall going to Athlete Ally. And this beer is also in partnership with one of Athlete Allies and one of Athletic Brewing's pro athletes, Alex Johnson. Alex Johnson is a climber, uh, but not just a climber. Let, let me tell you, let me back up just a hair. Alex, at, at such a young age, is pretty much legendary in the world of bouldering, in the world of outdoor climbing even. She just has a ridiculous resume and a ridiculous slew of, of accomplishments at 12 years old. She won the American Bouldering Series Youth Climbing National Championship at 12. But get this, at 13, she won the Adult National Championship. A year later, just switched to adult and then won that one too. How crazy is that? And obviously, you know, got even better and then switched her focus to track where she won the Wisconsin State Championship in pole vaulting which helped her get into college. Then she switched back to climbing, won a ton of competitions, did extremely well, and has just a ridiculous amount of first ascents of some amazing outdoor routes and bouldering problems and is climbing all over the world, all over the country now. So it was such a pleasure to talk to her. We're going to learn about her life, some of the challenges she's faced on and off the climbing wall, and give you an in-depth and behind-the-scenes look at one of the pro athletes here at Athletic Brewing. So I hope you enjoy, and I hope you check out Rainbow Wall while it's still available. Uh, Alex Johnson, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I always ask this first. Where's home for you? Where are you coming from? So I currently live in Salt Lake City. I just moved out here about a year ago, maybe a little over a year ago, um, initially to train to try to qualify for the Olympics with the rest of my teammates at the USA Climbing Training Center. But um, it's not a secret that I did not qualify. I was close, but it sort of like allowed me to stay in Salt Lake and explore the rock climbing, which is where my heart really is. So it's awesome. We love living here. That's awesome. But I know that you're not from there. You actually grew up far from the mountains uh, in a <laughs> yeah. lot of ways. Can you tell us about what you growing up in the Midwest? How did you get into climbing? What, what, what was the, what started all this off for you? So growing up in Hudson, Wisconsin, um, is definitely not a place known for 
It's rock climbing. Um, what, what is it the mecca of? <laughs> cheese, I guess. Okay. I would say cheese. I don't know. Wisconsin's known for its like squeaky cheese curds, and that's that's how you know they're fresh. Is if you bite into them and they squeak, which is like kind of weird. Are are my cheese curds squeaking? Is a weird thing to ask yourself for sure. Yeah, and if they are, you know they're fresh. <laughs> right. Um. So I started in a gym. It was like a old building. I think it was like a grain elevator. And it sort of went from there. And I didn't really start climbing outside until I was 18 when I moved to Colorado. But um, most of my life growing up was climbing in a gym and competing and, and sort of growing up through the sport that way. Was your talent pretty clear early on? I think so. I would, I would say so. I won the first competition that I entered. I think I was like nine or 10. And then I sort of, I guess, never stopped winning from there on until maybe 2011. What happened in 2011? <laughs> I stopped winning. Um, <laughs> uh, I think it was sort of like I had ridden talent for so long, like that entire first decade of climbing. Like I I didn't work hard. I just knew I was talented and I sort of, the sport wasn't as big then and I kind of got away with just being naturally good. And sort of around 2011 is when the sport really started to grow and a lot more people started popping up on the scene and and they worked hard and they trained. And that was something that I wasn't, I hadn't really done before. And so basically from 2011 on, I tried to just kind of keep riding talent and I started getting beat by people who worked harder than me. And that was pretty eye-opening. What was your response? Because that's interesting. You're that kid that we all looked at and said, oh, if I was, I mean, you don't have to do anything and you're just winning all the time while we're working our butts off. But at some totally. point they caught up a little bit. For sure. So I initially sort of dove head first into training really, really hard and it did pay off. And then in 2012, I like sort of won everything I entered again and then got injured in a World Cup and took some time off. I think I took eight weeks off. And that was sort of the first break that I'd really taken in the, in climbing since I started when I was like nine or 10. And that eight week sort of like injury break elongated itself. And it turned into like kind of a year of just hanging out and a little bit of self-discovery and climbing for fun and leisurely. In 2013, I did not compete again. And then when I came back in 2014, I had a lot of ground to make up because I had taken that time off. And that was sort of when everyone else had kind of kicked it into high gear and like really dove into the training. And so for me, coming back in 2014 was, was hard. And that was a pretty unsuccessful year. And like 15 was as well in 2016. I made a podium again at nationals. I got second and it was sort of like a legendary podium. It was Alex Puccio, myself and Angie Payne. And the three of us grew up climbing together and we're like on and off the podium together in that first decade. But since then, none of us had been on a podium together and it was so cool. It was all these like young kids, like in and, in and out of finals, like often on the podium. And then 2016, the three of us stood on the podium together and we were like, holy shit. Like, this is epic. And Angie and I looked at each other and we were like, I don't know, like with the way the sport's going and how talented these young kids are and how much harder we have to work to keep up now, I don't know if this will ever happen again. And so both of us like stepped off the podium and into retirement. No way. How old were you? 2016. I was 27. 
27 is like, and Angie was what, 31 or she's a couple years older than me, 30, 31. And so um, that is, I, it's not unlike gymnastics, you know, like 27 to 31 is, I guess, kind of old for the sport. And if you look at the qualified Olympians they have right now, Akio Noguchi is 32. She and I were both born in 1989 and she's the oldest. She is like by far the oldest qualified Olympian. And I think the next one under her is like 26. Wow. And so being really so, so young still in so many ways, For sure. what was going through your head to, to do next or to knowing that, you know, you, you still had it, obviously you were, you were winning, but at some point in the near future, you would have to do something else. Totally. Um, it sort of just gave me a chance to go back to climbing outside. Um, I was living in Vegas at the time and sort of spent like 2014 to 16 predominantly climbing outside and, and like exploring the area and doing a little bit of development. And in 2000, like I trained pretty hard in 2016 to make that podium again and then stepped off of it and like just right back to outdoor climbing. Um, but my retirement didn't last very long. I came back to competing at the very end of 2018. Um, 2016 was when it was announced that climbing would be in the Olympics. And I, I had like completely written it off. Like I was like, I made a podium and it, it was like, I worked harder than I, than I'd ever worked before to try to make that podium. And if that's like what I have to do at that point, at that young age to make that podium, I sort of wrote off the, like, there was no way that I could do it again in four years when I was 30, you know, but I tried, I tried, it was really funny. Like it, I moved home and started climbing indoors again. And it's sort of just indoor and outdoor climbing are so different. And it's really hard to be really good at both at the same time. Indoor is really dynamic and powerful and there's a lot of coordination and it's explosive and kind of flashy and showy and outdoor. It's, um, it tends to be more subtle and a little more vertical and it's more really technical and you, you move slower and you're kind of in control the whole time. And so moving home, I started coaching a youth team and just climbing inside with them all the time. And I got sort of that like, flowy momentum comp style fitness back and then had I was just like I'm I'm fit again like really fit maybe I should try I would for sure regret not trying and so came back out of retirement in 2018 um qualified for nationals again and showed up nationals and sort of jumped right back on the podium back in second place where I left off and that was like this crazy eye-opening like you're supposed to be here this is what you came for it was amazing. And I like busted ass to get there too. And it was everything like sort of fell into place. And I made the U S team again. And then 2019 joined the world cup circuit again, which I hadn't done since 2011. It's almost 10 years in between eight, eight years in between that. It's a lot. It was a lot. (laughs) And then what, what was, what was the process to, to qualify for the Olympics or to, to keep trying for, for that? Man, uh, qualifying for the Olympics was really complicated. So you you basically had to do the entire World Cup season and accrue enough points in each individual discipline to be invited to the qualification events. It the Olympics this year is a format. It's it's really new to climbing and it's sort of something that none of us had ever experienced before. And it's combined. So it's basically if you did the only discipline in gymnastics in the Olympics was all around. Or if the only sport and track was like 
a triathlete or a hep, the heptathlete, it's or heptathlon, triathlon. Um, there's no individual disciplines, and so that was really hard for us. Like I am a boulder. That's what I'm really good at. And speed and lead were things that I hadn't focused on since I was a teenager. And so in order to qualify, you have to do all three. And so it sort of led everyone to to spend a bunch of time working on disciplines that we weren't very good at. And it kind of let our specialties fall by the wayside. And so we we all got kind of average at all three, but no one was really outstanding. It was it's kind of a mess. So in 2024, speed has been separated and is now its own discipline because it really doesn't fit with the other two. And it'll be bowling and lead combined. And then in 2028, I think all three will be separated. Sorry, this is a lot. <laughs> so, Well, it, it, it shows you, you know, what you're talking about. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure you wish that uh, they maybe would have done this 10 years earlier. For sure. It would have been awesome. Or even just specializing because using on one discipline is is us like for us really easy and not having like it was like two or three days a week of lead and speed and then one day it was really hard to like allocate your time and and cater your training to be good at all three and it's sort of it was a huge learning experience and it was awesome like being back on the circuit again and really cool seeing my friends qualify and it's sort of the first um u.s athlete who qualified was brooke rabbitu and I don't know that any of us expected or knew what to expect or had any expectations. Like we all wanted it, but there was a huge chance with this combined format that no U.S. athletes could qualify for the Olympics. And so as soon as Brooke qualified, it sort of made it real for us. There's only two spots on the U.S. team for the Olympics and Brooke taking one, you would think you'd look at it from this perspective of like, oh no, like there's only one spot left. Like my odds have significantly decreased. But for all of us, we were like, holy Brooke qualified. Like, I feel like our odds increased by a hundred percent. Like we were like, it's possible. It was really crazy. Wow. Totally. So, so how, how close were you? Um, it maybe depends on who you ask. Okay. (laughs) There were like, I like to think I was close. Like I was probably the fourth ranked, um, had they taken four, I, I think there's a chance that I would have qualified, but I wasn't like one spot out from qualifying, you know, like if you look at it based on country, I was close. But if you looked on it, at it based on like global qualification, I wasn't that close. Like I have friends from other countries who went to the qualifying event. They took the top six and they got seventh or something like that's gutting. And I wasn't that close. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't as heartbreaking as it could have been. How, how did you deal with that? How did you, wh- what did you start doing? What, what, what's your focus been since, since that news? So I basically took all of this like newfound skill and strength and fitness from training for two years to try to qualify and immediately just went back outside. That's kind of like a, a pattern that I'm seeing. It's like compete, uh, get really fit, do well, walk away, go, go climb outside. And it's, I always come back to competing because I like it. And it's sort of like you get pushed into this zone of focus that you're not really pushed into outside just because of the pressure. Like you walk out onto the stage and you have four minutes to do this climb and then you walk away from it and you have to do it in those four minutes. And when you go climbing outside, you can walk up to like the hardest thing you've ever tried. And if you don't do it, you can always come back tomorrow. And so that, that sort of pressure, you really only get competing. And I really like that. But um, 
it was, I just went back outside and I started climbing things like that I couldn't do before because I busted ass to try to qualify for the Olympics, like harder than 2012, harder than 2016. Like I worked harder than I'd ever worked in my life. And it, I got stronger than I've ever been in my life. My technique was better. And although I was like super disappointed to not qualify for the Olympics, it would have been a total waste to not capitalize on this like peak fitness, especially like in my, I think I was exactly 30. And so I was like, I'm getting into my thirties. Like this might be it. Like this could be, this could be my last year. And I just spent two years getting here and I'm not going to waste it. You mentioned going back home and coaching helped mm-hmm. kind of get get you ready to try for the Olympics. What, why did coaching help, and why did moving back to Minnesota help you help you get ready for the the Olympics? You know what I'm saying? That seems like a yeah. seems like oxymoron almost. To- totally. I think initially going back to Minnesota it eliminates the distraction of wanting to climb outside. Um, I think as like an outdoor athlete or like sort of outdoor extreme sport athlete that's where we always want to be and in order to sort of train to become your best you kind of have to be in the gym all the time that's I would say the the most important thing was it eliminated the distraction of me wanting to go like explore the mountains and stuff which is kind of sad but um and then the second most important thing would be for me when I teach and explain movement and break it down I learn more about that movement for myself. And it's, I'm sort of like demonstrating and I have all this experience, but I don't know everything. And so when I teach these kids, I have to find new ways to explain or describe or show because they all have different learning styles. And it it sort of was like a never ending learning curve for me. And I became so much more in tune with my body positioning and my body awareness and, and balance and movement and stuff that it was, um, kind of like a, a really steep learning curve, which was, really interesting because I think in all my years prior, I'd spent so much time just training and trying to get stronger and faster and more powerful that teaching sort of allowed me to comprehend like the movement more. And it, it just made my climbing more fluid and I didn't have to rely so much on like strength and power. You you really, you really begin to learn what you teach is, is something I've learned. And, and when you're telling other people about it, you internalize it so much deeper, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure that was, that, that's very interesting. I, I, I didn't expect those answers, but that's a, that's a very <laughs> interesting. So, so you were there for a short amount of time and now you're back out West. Um, wh- what caused you to answer that, that call to the mountains? Initially it was, they wanted all the U S team athletes to move to Salt Lake city because that's where USA climbing is based out of. And they were building this U S team training center. It was like exclusive. And, and we all were super stoked and came out and we all still live here. Like no one has left, even though only two qualified, I think 15 of us moved here. And so everyone is still here training together and that's really cool. But, um, being outside, I think is really important to me. And that, that part of climbing is sort of something that I'll never, walk away from or I'll never be able to give up. Like I can walk away from competing, but climbing outside, like will always have my heart. I'd love to ask you about, uh, if you're open to it, your story of coming out in the climbing world. Can you just walk us through that experience? What led you to make that decision? How difficult was it? Did it feel natural? It was very spontaneous. 
I was sort of like, I was out to the, I was dating Brie, Brie and I have been together for almost five years. And like the people who knew me knew and knew we were together. It wasn't like a secret. Um, but it wasn't, I wasn't out like publicly or professionally. And I think I was concerned with it being the outdoor industry. I didn't know if I would be accepted or seen differently or dropped from sponsors or I don't know, like it was a few years ago and just, I was really nervous about it. And so in my mind, I was like, well, I'll never come out publicly or professionally. And if you know me, you know, and everyone like who knows us knows Brie and I are together. And that was just sort of the way it was going to be. And then one of the kids on my team um, came to me having a bad day at school and she, we got to talking and she was like, I get bullied. It's, I hate school. And I was like, huh, why, why are you getting bullied? Like what's happening? And she was like, I get bullied for liking girls. And I was like, Oh wow. Really? Like Gen Z kids are still bullying other kids for their sexuality. Like I kind of thought that that whole gen- like generation was above all this, you know? Yeah. Um, and that they were like, more accepting of each other. And yeah, it kind of blew my mind that she was getting bullied at school for that. And then as soon as she told me that she like got kind of nervous and then was like, you're not homophobic, are you? And I was like, I'm clearly doing a massive disservice to this young girl on my team or any other young athlete on my team or any young athlete in the world or anyone in the world who doesn't know that they have me like as an ally or part of the community or someone to look to who represents them in a professional sport. And so I like, I think went home from coaching and immediately just like posted an Instagram that was like, here it is. And even Brie was like, Oh my God, your post. And I was like, yeah, I know. I, it just happened. And it, I was like, here it is. It's all out there. And just, it was like a massive outpouring of like support and encouragement and it honestly couldn't have gone better. <laughs> wow. So those, so those fears that you had weren't, weren't realized. No, not at all. I think I, it was just like insecurity from like growing up in the Midwest and having like not a single like gay or LGBTQ person in my entire school for the entire four years I was there. And, and it was always something that was like used it like in slur or looked down upon or like joked about. And so I was like, yeah, no way, not ever. And moving away from the Midwest, I think was really eye opening for me as well. And it was sort of in Las Vegas when I started being way more open about my sexuality and it, people just seemed to be like more mellow and, and give fewer shits out there. And it was just like, <laughs> yeah, this is where you're in, you're on the West coast. Basically like we don't, people have been gay out here for forever and it's not right. the Midwest. It's really like religious and like middle-class white suburban. It's um, Vegas was like, yeah, they, we see all sorts of characters. There's, okay. there's all kinds of stuff going on out here. Don't worry yeah, about, totally. don't worry about that. That's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was sort of when I was like, Oh, cool. Okay. And then Brie and I started dating when I was living out there and, and it was immediate. It was sort of an immediate, like this is Brie and we're together. It wasn't like, there wasn't really like a moment or a conversation that needed to be had with people. It was sort of just like, this is Brie. And I guess that was like my coming out to my people, which was great also, but yeah, the, the post did amazing and it was a huge relief. And I think I was just insecure and sort of hiding behind like how I felt growing up in the Midwest. 
And then it was just met with like so much positivity. It was awesome. That that is that is so encouraging. And I'm sure personally you felt this enormous weight just taken off your shoulders. For so, sure. What was the reaction of your family, your closest, you know, the, the, the people you were grew up with? Because you, you did end up moving back after that. It was also pretty nonchalant. Like my extended family were like, we love Brie. We just love who you love. And I was like, okay, that that's that conversation then. That's cool. Um, and then the only person that I really, I really only have like, I'm in touch with like one friend from back home. And she was like, cool, this is great. This is so awesome. And I was like, okay, sick. <laughs> I don't know what I was so afraid of. And it's it's really common in LGBTQ youth to have a really negative experience. And I think knowing that, I was really concerned. And it's I didn't think my parents were gonna throw me out, which is extremely common when like young queer mm-hmm. kids come out. But um I definitely was concerned with like losing friends or I didn't want my friends to think I had crushes on them or like making any relationships weird. And I think that was like one of my other biggest fears is like, what if, what if my friends don't want to be my friend or they act different around me? And I think my story and how widely accepted and positive it was, is uncommon. I think a lot of kids in the queer community have really bad experiences. And I'm, I'm hopeful that sort of my story or telling my story is encouraging to them to know that like, even if you do have a really coming out story that's not the end of your story and it can get better from there absolutely i think that ties naturally in, into athlete ally uh do you mind sharing about what out athlete allied is and and how you got involved yeah um i think i honestly just slid into their dms <laughs> it was it was an organization that i had followed on instagram and i i saw that they were doing really awesome things and and they're their tagline or their message is to combat transphobia and homophobia in sports. And I was like, great, this is cool because sports, I feel like especially mainstream sports and mainstream male sports are really, can be really transphobic and homophobic. And so the work they were doing really inspired me. And because I had just come out, I was like, okay, well now I want to do more. Like that was step one. Now I'm like visible to my community and the public, now what can I do? Like, what else can I do? What can I do more? And that sort of immediately led me to reach out to them. And and I basically was like, what, how can I help you? How can I, how can we work together? And that relationship was sort of immediate and really natural. And then it's awesome being an ambassador for them. And I think they also have athletes like Megan Rapino on their list, which is cool. Cause it's like one degree separation from me and Megan Rapino. There you go. <laughs> We we had her sister Rachel on the show, so there's another degree right there. <laughs> Ooh, hook it up! <laughs> yeah, it's just cool, like being able to, I don't know, stand up for this community. And it's, I'm still learning so much from Athlete Ally, and in statistics, like eighty percent of young LGBTQ youth in sports are not out to their coaches or their teammates, and that's eighty percent. Eighty percent. Oh, yeah kind of outrageous and but I was one of you know like I was one of those kids who was like absolutely not like what if I'm I don't I'm already different like I think people could already tell that I was different one because it is basically impossible to hide that you're gay when you're a gay kid no matter how hard you try and two I was a rock climber and that was like people are like what's that is it do you do those you go upside down are you gonna climb Everest and you're just like oh 
now I have to explain this like obscure sport to them and also like I, they could already kids could already tell I was different like I was bullied in school and that was sort of like why I resonated with my youth athlete so strongly and was like well this this is unacceptable <laughs> like I, she can't have the same experience I had in school and I think that we've come a long like a long way since I was in the locker room but um I mean we definitely have a long way to go still and it's cool that this partnership felt really natural to me, like wanting to sort of create a, a beer around pride and, and have something to give back to the community and represent the community that I'm proud to be a part of now and then sort of naturally connect it with Athlete Ally and the work that they do because athletic is such a, a sort of sports-focused beer company that it, was, it just felt really natural to me. And I'm, I'm really stoked that it came to fruition. Well, yeah, and tell us about, can you talk about, like, the inspiration behind Rainbow Wall, where it came from, and why why that place is so special to you? So I approached Athletic with the idea to sort of create, I'm not even create, because I definitely was not the one creating the beer. We just, like, taste tested it, and we were like, yeah, this is great. Great job, guys. Um, but we wanted to do something around Pride, and have something that represented the queer community and something that we could offer. I I don't even know if a peace offering is the right word, but it's basically like, this is a beer for you, like designed by a queer athlete. It, I want representation like across the board. Like I always want the young queer athletes who aren't out or maybe, you know, 60 year old member of the LGBTQ community to just be like, Oh, cool. That's, that's cool. That represents me in a, in a way that, they maybe have never seen before. And so beer is amazing and it's very common worldwide and it's something that everyone loves. And it's sort of like a, an icebreaker, especially you're like going out climbing and you're sitting around the campfire at the end of the day. And it's like, Hey, do you want a beer? And you pass a beer around. And if it's like a, like a pride beer or a rainbow focused beer, then it's, it's a conversation starter. And that's something that I think is really cool. And the rainbow wall is a climb in Las Vegas. And it was actually the first multi-pitch climb that I did when I moved to Las Vegas. And it's this really big, beautiful, like sheer cliff. And it's arced at the top, like a rainbow. And that climb, like Vegas sort of will always have my heart because that's, that's where I really started to find myself and came out really for the first time and, and was allowed to be me. And doing that, that long route, like that big wall was really challenging. Like it took us 14 hours and it sort of was just like, this beer is the accumulation of all, everything that I love and everything that I want to represent. And it's really awesome that athletic was so more than down to sort of run with it. And then we were like, well, we can't just like make, make a beer and then, that, and that be it. Like we want to donate profits or proceeds to go to benefit like an organization in the LGBTQ community and Athlete Ally was a really easy, like I'm already an ambassador for them and they do such cool things in sports. Like bridging that gap was really easy for everyone. You couldn't have written it better yourself. You know, it's, it's, it's <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm happy that, that we're, we're able to go with these ideas and these connect, these places you're already involved in. You're right. It's athletic brewing. Um, yeah. We're our, we are made for athletes, for people playing participating in sports not just watching sports and so um but the fact that it was rainbow wall in vegas too is so cool so so cool um 
Well, sweet. Well, I, I'd love to get into the rapid fire uh, aspect of the show and then we can wrap this up. For sure. Sweet. Well, rapid fire one. What are you most curious about right now outside of outside of climbing? Let's take a quick message break and hear from who makes this show possible. Athletic Brewing Company. If you're a listener to the show, you know the premise is to live without compromise. But that comes from our desire at Athletic to brew without compromise because we are making the world's greatest non-alcoholic craft beer. And when you pursue a crazy idea like that, you have to shoot for excellence every single day. Our beer is the same ingredients and the same flavors and the same taste of great craft beer. It just happens to not have alcohol. So the next time you really want a beer, but maybe not the effect of alcohol for whatever reason, Athletic Brewing is absolutely the obvious choice. And if you'd like to try some, we have free shipping on all our beers at athleticbrewing.com. And you can use our store finder to just type in your address, find where we are on store shelves near you. And heck, I'll sweeten the pot. You know, if there's if there's someone out there that's really been wanting to try us, but, you know, maybe money's tight or you just don't want to spend the money just yet, you're, you're hesitant, reach out to me in whatever way you want to try to find me. I'll personally order the first person to do that a free 12-pack. That's how much I believe that if you taste this beer, you will believe great non-alcoholic beer is now here. Let's get back to the episode. Hmm, I think the hobby that... I participate in the most outside of climbing is mountain biking and I would love to get more into it. Um, Bree and I just started sort of really seriously mountain biking in the last two years and we're looking to get lift tickets for Deer Valley, which is the local downhill mountain biking park and hopefully not break a collarbone in the process. Yeah. You're in a great spot for it. Not, yeah. not, not just breaking the collarbone, but mountain biking too. <laughs> both. Great spot for both. Yeah. It's another way to sort of, I think working out to some people isn't that fun and you have to force yourself to do it. And so when you go rock climbing or mountain biking, like you're totally getting a workout in, but you're having so much fun that you don't even notice. And that's, that's something that I'm really into. Yeah. That's like, you know, non-alcoholic beer. You're, you're getting that experience without, a uh, without the exactly. alcohol, the bad side of it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, so what would you say is your proudest achievement outside of climbing? I think my proudest achievement outside of climbing would be coming out, which hmm. I, I know isn't an achievement, but it's something that I think I thought I would never do. And I believe that so much good has come from it. And not not for me, but like just representing like young athletes or anyone in the queer community and then being visible for, for people to look to or look up to and, and think that could be me someday. That's something that I'm really proud of. That is absolutely an achievement. And it's definitely something you should absolutely be proud of. What goal would you say, uh, what's your biggest goal you haven't yet achieved? This could be climbing or, or personal. Hmm. If you would have asked me this a month ago, my answer would be totally different. Um, <laughs> I recently wrapped up a climb that I had spent a decade trying. And so it was sort of like the 10 year, like the 10 year project for me and that I did it. Um, the swarm. The yeah, the swarm. And so that would have been my answer a month ago. I would have been like, the swarm, of course. Like, I've spent a decade not doing it. But I just did it, you know, like 30 days ago. And so I I honestly don't know that I have an answer for that right now because it was – that was sort of like my lifelong project. Like, I spent a third of my life trying it, and and I don't, I don't really have anything on the horizon right now. 
Well, you're 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 allowed a little bit of time to to think of a new one because you know if the last one lasted a decade, then you, you know. Oh, man, I know. So so let me ask you this: How, What did that feel like to 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 complete that? That is that is a big deal. It was so surreal, like obviously so incredible, but also so surreal. Like I had spent and dedicated so much time sitting sitting under that like stupid piece of rock alone not alone dragging other people up there <laughs> dragging film crews up there dragging my dogs up there in the rain and the wind and the snow and the heat and it was like the moment that I did it was sort of unexpected like there wasn't like this this build up to doing it like I sort of I mean we we had been out there for a couple weeks and I was trying it every day and and it wasn't just this like oh this is the moment like I sort of just pulled on and all of a sudden was on the top and it was really it almost was like anticlimactic because it was so unexpected in that moment like Brie was still like setting a camera up on the tripod like I was kind of still warming up and then all of a sudden I did it and we just were like holy shit um okay uh now what do I do with my life (laughs) yeah totally and it yeah it almost to me was it felt better than qualifying for the olympics because i i spent two years training to qualify for the olympics and i spent 10 years on this project and so it was you could say that it was like a consolation prize of like almost parallel gratitude for me and now yeah i've i've been like pretty lost since like i don't really know i don't know what to do but in like a really content way you know, there's, there's a lot of big rocks out there and, uh, yeah. especially in that area. Um, you never know, there might be something else just right around the corner, but that that's awesome. You, you completed it. You're in a content place. Something else will definitely come up. Well, that's really cool. That's good to hear that, uh, you know, your biggest goal really just got achieved. Yeah. And it, I'm the oldest I've ever been. And you're the, you're the oldest. I love it. <laughs> I love it. So what would you say right now is your favorite athletic brewing beer? Is there one, I don't want to put you on the spot if you know you don't know the exact name, but is, is there one you really enjoy? Well, I obviously love the Rainbow Wall, mm. but I think I'm one of the only ones who's gotten a little taste of that. So the world, the world will know soon. Yeah. Um, and then the staple, the Upside Dawn. I love the Golden. Mm-hmm. That that is one of my favorites too, and, and, and to wrap it all up, um, you know, the name of the show is Without Compromise. Here at Athletic, we brew without compromise. We have to, you know, that's the only way to succeed as a non-alcoholic beer is be perfect, be mm-hmm. absolutely incredible every time you can. Uh, what does it mean to you to live without compromise? For me, it it almost essentially means the same thing as as you guys at Athletic. Like it's, I want to be perfect. I want to be the best that I can be in every aspect. And that means that making sacrifices, but making them, making them totally worth it. And without compromise to me is I don't want to, I don't want to slack. I want everything to be perfect. My training to be really precise, sort of just taking everything to that next level without making unnecessary sacrifices. If you'd like to read or watch more of Alex's story, be sure to check out the blog post and the film series, both talking about Rainbow Wall. Links are in the show notes for that. And if you'd like to try some Rainbow Wall yourself or any of our other beers, go to athleticbrewing.com. Free shipping on two six-packs or more. Uh, but I don't imagine Rainbow Wall is going to be around too much longer, so I would, I would get some while it's lasting. Till the next time, keep living without compromise.
Thank you.